As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show Weekend Review. We're looking back on a weekend where Cristiano Ronaldo was so good, he brought a retired NFL player back into the game. Where Chelsea and Newcastle showed us why the soul of the English game is circling the drain. Where Jesse Marsh delivered three points and a little bit of Yorkshire acclaim. And where Charlotte FC and AFC Wimbledon delivered me a healthy dose of of pain. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who has three L's in his name. He's only beaten by Frank Lampard, who has four L's to his name with Everton. Taylor Rockwell, hello. Hello. Is this what we get when Ryan goes on a road trip? We get the number of letters in our names? I'm into it. I'm here for it. Gra- uh, Graham and Joe, buckle up for your introductions, because <laughs> Ryan is in rare form today. He's, he's, I can't say if you're impressed or unimpressed with my uh, observation about the number of letters in your name, Taylor. I, I think it's it, between between the number of letters and just the overall tone of like I'm so tired and maybe hungover. <laughs> I, I'm I'm really enjoying the introduction so far. I'm not hungover. I'm a professional. I'm just very very tired and emotional, Taylor. That's you're all just it very is. very <laughs> drunk still. <laughs> uh, listener, I spent eight hours on a bus going to Atlanta yesterday. We'll hear all about that uh, later on in the podcast. But in the meanwhile, we are joined by a man who would definitely make NYCFC a bigger MLS Cup celebration banner if given the choice. Is that right, Graham Rutherman? <laughs> uh, yes, I mean, I feel like I could definitely print one out at home bigger than the one that they have uh, they have seemingly ended up with. Yeah, that, that was... That was peculiar and quite funny and I didn't know whether they it was actually a bit from NYCFC was it cynical like did they tweet that out surely they know what they're going to get with from uh, from Twitter when they tweeted that out but yeah quite funny yeah yeah the Travelling Charlotte FC fans I was with yesterday for the aforementioned trip to Atlanta, um, you're only allowed certain sizes and certain things to take in, like flags. And like the basically the biggest flags they'd let the away fans take in were like poster size. And everyone was shrugging like, eh, 
It'll be bigger than the NYCFC one. It's all good. Yeah. It's all I just good. I just think it's funny how like the Yankees were quite clearly like, we don't want any of your stuff up in our home. <laughs> like we're gonna give you this tiny little space. Yeah, that'll do. Okay, A4. No more. That that's definitely the real banner, right? Like I I've seen a bunch of people just dunking on that thing. And I just want to be very clear. That is the official one, not something like a fan printed or something like that, right? No, it's I think it's, it's real. official. Yeah. Oh boy! Oh boy! Then Graham, I think your your theory is correct. The Yankees are like what now? You want to put where where? No, absolutely not. We've got too many statues. We've got too many uh, busks and busts and things like that. No, we can't have a, a a tiny banner in the upper deck. Yeah, Yankee Stadium, home of soccer in New York. Rounding out our pack today, a man whose clocks absolutely did not go forward this weekend, but we love him anyway, Arizona Joe Lowry. That's right. The time is the same for me as it was yesterday, as it was the day before that. I uh, I don't change like the rest of y'all weirdos. <laughs> wow. I mean, <laughs> it sounds like an insult, but you're absolutely right. None of the clocks should change. It's 2022, right, Joe? We should all get on board with Arizona Joe's let's keep the tide the same all the time, all the year round. I'm just saying we have electricity now. So while Ben Franklin's idea was helpful for a while, it is not really all that necessary at this point. If we're point. gonna ch- if we're gonna change the time, can we at least all do it at the same point of the year? Because now I have to work out what the time zone difference is, not just to the east coast, but now to Joe, which is different to the east coast. I I just can't get my head around it. <laughs> Graham, aren't you part? Aren't you actively part of a country that like wanted to remove itself from other countries so that no one can tell us what to do? And now you're advocating for a global daylight savings time. I feel like you're gonna run into some problems pretty quickly. Don't pick apart the logic of my backwards country. That's not on me. I just think Joe is really being premature here. It's this newfangled electricity. We don't know what's going to happen with it. I'm I'm (laughs) running out for uh, for whale lamps, for whale oil lamps. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Hedge your bets, Taylor. Hedge your bets. (laughs) (laughs) All right, plenty of soccer to talk about today. Why don't we get started in the Premier League on Saturday, Manchester United 3, Tottenham 2. Cristiano Ronaldo, the aforementioned hero of the day, getting a hat trick, uh, a worldie, a tap-in, and an unstoppable header. Quite a combo from Ronaldo, who broke Joseph Picard record for the most goals in competitive matches in football history with 807 according to IFFHS Pele of course scoring uh, over a thousand more in his backyard and he thinks he's got the record still but that's another conversation for another day uh, on the other side uh, the Harry's Kane and Maguire getting the goal for goals for Spurs um, yeah we can probably talk about Harry Maguire a little later on Joseph Larry but your initial thoughts on this game how it set out it was a very, very entertaining game of the soccers, I thought, Joseph. It was. My first overarching thought for this game is that it was really fun. Man, Manchester United going 1-0 up early on. It's a great goal from Cristiano Ronaldo. Then Kane equalizes to go 1-1. Then Manchester United score again, and they're up 2-1. Then it goes to 2-2 with that Maguire own goal. Then 3-2 with the, the final goal from Cristiano Ronaldo. It was a fun back-and-forth kind of game. Okay, never really fully back-and-forth, but back and then halfway forth and then back again. You get the idea. This, this, this to me, outside of the scoreline and the entertaining nature of this one, in a macro sense, felt like a battle between two pretty compact teams, with each team trying to break through the other. And I know that's kind of how soccer works in general, but in this game, it really was, okay, Tottenham, Tottenham says we're going to go sit in a 5-4-1 in the first half, and we're going to dare Manchester United to break us down, and we don't think they can. And then Manchester United said, well, actually, we're going to sit in a 4-4-2 or a 
triple two or a four two three one, depending on the positioning of those wingers and of Pogba underneath Ronaldo. But we're going to sit largely in our own half, or at least right around midfield, and dare you, Tottenham, to do the same. And both teams had some success. Manchester United broke through a little bit, but really, both of their first two goals, the first one comes off of a, a really improbable but still lovely shot from Ronaldo, off of a great flick from Fred, I might add. And the second goal comes from a nice long ball from Matic that Tottenham just don't execute defensively at all, and they don't get nearly enough pressure to the ball to, to really make that ball in more difficult from Matic to Sancho over the top to then square it to Ronaldo. But Manchester United really do break through. Tottenham break through some as well. Young min Son, I thought, was really dangerous early on, coming down that left side, finding space in behind. But at the end of the day, Manchester United found more goals at the end of some of their attacking sequences, and that's, to state the obvious, how you win soccer games. Do you feel it could have gone either way then, Joe? You're, I feel like you're describing it like the Spider-Man meme, these two teams pointing at each other. I do think Manchester United was better in this game, but it would not have surprised me at all from the run of play and from the chances that Tottenham had, which were not you know flowing like rivers here, but there were still enough in this game. Probably more quality chances than Manchester United, if I had to guess. I don't know what the XG was for this game, but yeah, I, th- I think, Ryan, this one could have gone either way. Mm. Taylor, your thoughts on this as a Manchester United uh, sympathiser. Um, any standout performances? I mean, Ronaldo had a standout. Anyone else um, for you, Taylor? I mean, certainly Ronaldo. I think that first goal especially was sort of vintage, the Ronaldo I remember from his first time round, and that was that was nice to see. I'm assuming it was all because Tom Brady was was there in attendance and he wanted to show off, as you mentioned uh, Ryan, but I yeah. thought Jaden Sancho was the other kind of big standout or one of the other big standouts for me. Um, the way he is making direct runs, there were the stories maybe a month ago about how at Dortmund he had had such precise instruction about what to do and when to do it and how to do it that he was sort of able to execute the game plan because he had these instructions, this awareness of what to do. That was a little bit lacking under Solskjaer. Seems like he's getting more of that with Man United, or maybe he's just getting his overall confidence back. But either way, the way he's able to control long passes, the way he's able to drive at defenders, the way he's able to just create uncertainty in the defense, in this case for the Tottenham defense, and just make maybe them overcommit numbers in certain areas or just cheat over a little bit. And I think any time a player is is forcing the opposition to adjust their positioning or or just open up space a little bit, I think that's a thing that has been sorely lacking for Manchester United, a team that are oftentimes somewhat static. So to see Jaden Sancho running at defenses, creating chances, creating uh, disarray, I guess, in the defense. I think that that stood out. And then Fred uh, creating good chaos, I guess, if you're a Manchester United fan. Uh, they moved him around a little bit. You could hear Chris Armas in the first half giving him specific instructions on where to be. And I thought he, when playing as more of a number eight with a, a little bit more advanced, a little bit more involved in the uh, transition to attack, I think that showed some of his stronger skill sets. So I thought Sancho and Fred, very good games. Ronaldo, very, very good game. Fred is such a weird player, right? I, yes, I can't, I can't yeah. work him out at all. I did predict when Ranić came in that he would be one of the players who would, who would kind of flourish under Ranić, and that hasn't really happened to the extent that I that I thought it would. But this game was definitely good from him, and I've said before about Fred. This is what I'm talking about when he's when I say he's a weird player. I've said before that he isn't a very press resistant player. We've seen countless matches before where opponents press high on him because they know he'll cough up the ball. And yet Spurs tried that in this game. They frequently pressed Fred and yet he was brilliant at breaking through the press. There were nutmegs, drops of the shoulder, um, quick change of direction. Joe, you mentioned the little flick to create the space for Ronaldo for, for the first goal, for the shot for the first goal. You could argue 
Spurs give Ronaldo way too much space to get that shot away, but Fred creates the space with a little flick. Uh, Bentoncourt had a, a nightmare against him and, and Fred kept on yeah. producing good opportunities on, on the break. Um, so, yeah, I, I just can't work him out at all. I don't know whether he's good at being press resistant or bad at being press resistant. I don't know whether he is a midfield anchor or actually he's better in transition and he's better when he's got space to bur- burst into. I saw a quote from... Um, from Ranić after the game, I have to admit I do love how honest Ralph Ranić is and how savage he can be in some of his uh, some of his assessments of Manchester United. So the quote was with Scotty, he's talking about McTominay. With Scott McTominay, I I hope so, but he had some muscular problems with his calf. He's talking about whether he'll be fit soon. He's had some muscular problems with his calf. That's why we decided not to play him against Spurs because Scotty, quite like Fred, is only valuable if he can perform with 100% of his physical capacity, <laughs> which I thought was uh, kind of like a backhanded compliment for both players of, yeah, you're, you're good, but only when you're at 100% physical capacity. So it feels like Ranić is struggling to figure out that midfield <laughs> as well. Um, but in this game, Fred... Very good. Let's see how he does against Atleti. I bet he's terrible in that game. <laughs> and uh, talking about players and, and the way they fit into the press, we probably should uh, gloss a little bit more over Cristiano Ronaldo. Joe, was it me or did he actually go back and do a bit more defending than I thought um, he typically does? And so make, tried to make a few recoveries, I thought. And just, you know, obviously this was this was his star game. Uh, he, he was very ready to shine here. But I thought he was a bit more complete, maybe fit the system a little better than usual, Joe. I think he was doing some of that defensive work, Ryan, to, to your observation there. And I think Manchester United in general, I, th- I thought had some more aggressive ball wins that then, that then turned into attacking transition moments in this game. I liked some of what they were doing defensively, trying to force the ball wide. They kept the wingers narrow. These are all things that Rangnick really values, right? You shift over and trap the ball against the sideline. You don't worry so much about the weak side. It's it's the same thing we see from a lot of Red Bull teams. We certainly see it from the New York Red Bulls and MLS, and we've seen it in the past from Jesse Marsh. We'll see it at Leeds. I mean, these are, are basic traits of how they want to play. And I thought Ronaldo functioned fairly well in that system on, on Saturday, right? I thought he was decent in that role. Another Ronaldo-centric thing outside of his goal scoring, which was really nice, Something I didn't fully understand, and, and maybe you guys have a thought on it, maybe you were all equally confused about it too, in possession. So in that fluid four-two-three-one that the shape became in possession, Ronaldo was the one at the top of that shape. He was dropping, number one, really deep, and number two, weirdly wide in that shape as, as Manchester United were looking to break Tottenham down. To the point where I, I kept thinking, there's just no way that this was an, an instruction from Ralph Rangnick. Like, he was dropping, at times it felt like to pick the ball up off the center backs in the right half space, other times certainly into the midfield line. And I, I didn't quite understand why he was moving so wide on that side, and it made me want to watch, again, Graham mentioned that athletic game this week, it made me want to watch that game in particular against a team that we, we figure will be a little deeper defensively, as Diego Simeone often sets up his team to be. I wonder if Ronaldo will occupy those same spaces again. I wonder if it was if it really was a specific tactic for this game or if Ronaldo just said, "Yeah, I'm going to hang out on the right and see what happens." Because the the only reason I can think that that you would do that is it did create some opportunities for Ronaldo to really crash the box on the weak side if the ball's over on the left, Ronaldo's hanging out on the right in midfield, which is where he was so often. Maybe that allows him to see the space in the box and crash into those gaps. I, I need someone smarter than me to answer this question, but I, I don't know what that was for, and I'm curious to see if we see it again. But all that to say, yeah, Ronaldo, he was, he was pretty good. <laughs> did you say that? I feel like you said you're not quite sure what he did. Well, I mean, all that goes out the 
window, Taylor, when you score three goals. You know, like nothing I just said. I, I think those <laughs> things were interesting, but yeah, Ralph Rangnick probably doesn't care one lick about those after this. Game. Joe, I, I was distracted because you said he had a weird, wide shape, and that's uh, how I describe myself. But go on. I think I think if Ronaldo hears that about himself, he probably goes into panic. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Joe. I think I think normally I would say if if a thing keeps happening, if a player who is supposed to be your like furthest forward leading the line is all over the place or is dropping into specific spaces, that is a coach's instruction, right? Everything I've read and all the analysis I've seen seems to think that that was just a Ronaldo thing in this game, and I don't think that's giving him undue credit. I think it's looking at the scenario leading up to this game where he is very likely going to be left out of the starting 11 for the for the Manchester derby. Maybe he has an issue with that. Maybe there's a flare-up of an injury. He goes back to Portugal. He gets treatment. Ronick said he didn't know this was happening. And there's a lot of speculation about, can Ronaldo function in this system? Can he press? Can he do the things that's being asked of him? And in this game, we see him making a lot of sacrifices. If you look at where his uh, touch map was, it's really spread across the field. So I think he is popping up wherever he wants. I think he's trying to get on the ball as quickly as possible, but he's covering ground. He is doing defensive work. I believe this was his second best time per touch ratio this season, which basically means he was on the ball a lot. And I think there was an element of, I want to remind everyone that I'm very, very good. And maybe, this is me editorializing here, maybe also there's a, Bruno isn't here, so I'm going to do a lot of what I want to do with yeah. Bruno not here. And I do wonder if that's going to be a problem, that when you throw Bruno into the mix of Ronaldo and Paul Pogba, it it kind of starts to get a little bit disrupted. But when you've just got the two, then they can both kind of go where they want, do as they want, and everybody else can pick up the slack, and, and it ends up working out. So I think there was maybe some instruction, but I think a lot of it was Ronaldo doing Ronaldo things. I, I also don't think it's a coincidence he produces this sort of performance when he's had a week off. Yep. And I know, he, I know he tries to deny that he's 37 years old, <laughs> But yes, yes. I think a big part of the problem for Ronaldo this season has been the idea was never that he was going to play every single game for Manchester United over a season where they're in the Champions League knockout rounds and the Premier League and cup competitions. They were going to have Cavani and Ronaldo and Martial and Rashford and Mason Greenwoods all, all swapping in that position. And Ronaldo, 37, just can't play every minute of every game in that in that position. So I, I don't think it's a coincidence that he has a much more rounded performance where he is doing more. He isn't just that immovable object that he had been before that that quote unquote injury and that little trip back to Portugal. And it's probably because he's had he's had a week off. So I am interested to see how he plays against Atleti on Tuesday night, given he'll only had have had three days between those two games. And can he can he repeat that? I am. I gotta say, I am surprised to end up agreeing with Joe because I felt like this was maybe it was just because it was Manchester United. I should say I agree with Joe that this was a more dominant performance or a stronger performance from Spurs. Taylor, I, I liked it better when it was just a blanket statement. I think it yeah, was that's better fair. The first just time. Joe yeah. in general. Just yeah. Joe in general. But looking there. at the numbers for a moment, like it, it, it is more balanced than I expected. That Men United have 391 total accurate passes. 184 of those are in their own half. Tottenham have 520, but 273 are in their own half. So both teams, right around half of their per, of their possession is in their own half, which I think speaks to what Joe was talking about. It's a little bit deeper. It's a little bit like lower in the block possession, a little bit slow. Sometimes you're breaking with speed, and I think you could see that in the long ball play. Men United 30 of 57 in their long balls. Spurs 20 of 39, so again, about halfway for each of them. Spurs 1 for 24 in crosses, that's not great. But XG that I have was uh, 0.99 for Man United, 1.82 for Spurs. So yeah. 
Stats favor Tottenham here, but I think it was maybe just the narrative of the game being Man United score, Tottenham equalize, Man United score, Man United equalizes, and then Man United score to win the game. Uh, it, it, it balances out that way. But I think it was more of an even game with Manchester United playing a more comfortable game plan, I think, for them. And it does sort of set the stage for this weird midweek game against Atleti, and who knows what's going to happen there. I, I thought defensively Man United were as poor as ever. In this really? game, to be honest, yeah, I I felt like so kind of like the City game a couple of weeks ago. I I felt like United didn't get to grips with the Kane and and Son dynamic. They kept on, um, or rather, I should say, uh, City didn't get to grips with that dynamic. And I thought United had the same problem. They 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 kept on getting pulled into Kane and then having to chase back when the ball was flipped in behind for Son in space. And Son was running off the back of Matic into space between uh, Varane and, and Dallow all the time. And to be honest, in that first half, I felt like a Son goal was only a, ma- a matter of time. It felt like yeah. that opportunity was there all the time for them to just flip the ball in behind. I think Varane makes a, a big difference, just having his pace and the ability to work back and recover the ball. He's kind of like a, a plaster on a, on a window. Um, and yeah, I, I just thought Spurs... They didn't make the most of the, the the territorial opportunities they had. Like the 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 the, chan- the chances never became shots, if that makes, or didn't always become shots, if that makes sense. But in terms of how I felt, how the balance of the game was, particularly in that first half, I thought Spurs looked more dangerous, um, certainly just as dangerous as United did. Mm. Uh, we've uh, we've spent nearly 20 minutes talking about this game and I think just the last 30 seconds talking about Spurs so thank you Graham for uh, for bringing them up there <laughs> uh, is there anything more we can say about Spurs before we park this one I saw Graham um, some say, suggesting this was one of their best performances of the season I'm not sure I'd go that far but I'd agree it was very it was toe to toe and um, you know they maybe I, I was impressed with Kulishevsky as I always am and, and then when he went off and Mora came on the, um, Ronaldo's winning goal came in not much later um, so I was interested in what you think about what Tottenham did here the moves that um, uh, their coach made yeah I, I I wouldn't go as far as saying it was one of their, their best performances of the season but one of the the compliments I would pay Spurs at the moment and this is a little bit strange because this Spurs is a th- th- sorry this defeat for Spurs is a really damaging one for them I think that might be their top four hopes gone for the season I think Arsenal look really strong I'd have my United stronger than Spurs at this moment so it's weird to pay them compliments at this time but in recent weeks I think Conte has settled on on something you kind of know what you're going to get from the Spurs team now which only a few weeks ago wasn't the case so you're going to get Kulisevsky as part of the front three you're going to get Doherty and Reggion as the wing back positions you're going to get that uh, that midfield of Hoiberg and Bentoncourt and and uh, you know Kulusevski dropping deep and Son breaking behind and Kane dropping deep and linking everything up. So I think my United they faced a team that they the difference between the two teams is my United game to game. I I don't know what they're going to do game to game. It feels like. Ranić is he's going with Ronaldo is in a four two three one leading the line. Then there's maybe a strike partner another game. Then it's a four three three in another game. Then it's a three five two in another game. Whereas with Spurs, I, I do think they've settled on something, and that framework will be important for next season. I think if they if they get better wing backs, so in particular Doherty on the right side, I think that that Spurs team is elevated a level or two already because we've seen how important those wing backs are to to Conte at Chelsea and and Inter. If he gets those players. Um, I think the structure is there for the Spurs team to, to to really improve next season. But you you probably are looking at next season now. I do think that's probably their top four chances gone. Atraf Hakimi to Spurs confirmed by Graham Ruffin. Thanks, Graham. <laughs>
Um, yeah. Tot- Tottenham's form, by the way, win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. So a win at Brighton coming midweek for Tottenham. That's a good news for them. But wildly inconsistent, according to the form book. Um, we're going to come back after this break with plenty more Premier League, including uh, that game which Chelsea played against Newcastle. Much more coming. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's take our attention to Chelsea 1, Newcastle 0. Robert Abramovich's team versus the Saudi Public Investment Fund's team. Um... (laughs) So there was a, a a great goal here. Kai Havertz got a brilliant late winner here. Um, but there was probably a lot more going on, gents, than what was happening on the field um, with this contest. Uh, Saudi Arabia, lest we forget, is a country that's involved in war with Yemen at the moment. Um, uh, over the weekend, 81 men were executed. That's the largest known mass execution carried out in the kingdom in its modern history. Uh, the following day, Newcastle fans displaying Saudi flags at Stamford mm-hmm. Bridge. Um, Eddie Howe, the manager, asked for his thoughts on those executions by Tarek Panja um, in a press conference. I'll stick to football, was his response. So we have a situation, Taylor, where owners of both teams here, arguably enablers of war, death and destruction, sport, meet politics, politics meet sport. The soul of the sport here and the sport in England, I feel, is in question right now. Um, yeah, Taylor, I mean- the British government would agree with you, which is why they don't want one of those owners involved anymore. Uh, I, I would amend it to disqualified owner versus ownership fund linked to a country that executed 81 men. Yeah, that's that's about how I had it for the weekend. And we had pro Abramovich chanting. We had the Roman Empire banner still hanging uh, more prominently than NYCFC's championship banner. It should be noted. Uh, so, yeah, I think it was it was a really strange game and an obviously very strange time both for Newcastle and Chelsea supporters, Newcastle supporters, I think singing songs about like the offenses committed by Russia and committed by Abramovich and how their ownership would never do such a thing. They didn't go quite that far, but that would have been the ultimate irony because we know Saudi Arabia does. So yeah, I think a, a very strange background for a good performance from Chelsea. And I think you could see the emotion in Thomas Tuchel at full time when they win. You could see, I think, how stressful his time has been at Chelsea. He's really had a, a stressful time with Chelsea, a stressful time with PSG before that. Thomas Tuchel, I think, needs a nap. Yeah, um, so, so some interesting stuff happening at Chelsea. The club shop was still closed. Um, there were signs up saying tickets aren't available for the next home game against Brentford. No match day program on sale. Yeah. Uh, Three Mobile and Hyundai, their sponsors have both suspended their sponsorships, although both still on the shirt for this game, uh, did notice. Um, Taylor, we had um, the Premier League deciding to disqualify Abramovich as a director and basically um, disqualifying him owning Chelsea after these sanctions were imposed on him over the weekend as well, and a few updates to um, the government's terms under which Chelsea can operate. 
Yeah, we've got we've got a few uh, specific terms here. Let's go through them quickly. Uh, because they're recognized as a community asset, it means that they get special dispensation. They're not just fully frozen. Uh, they're allowed to operate through May. They can meet their payroll obligations and their regular maintenance uh, fees as well. But the major ones would be a curb on uh, travel costs. They can't exceed 20,000 pounds per game, uh, which is more manageable for domestic fi- fixtures, less so Champions League games. I think there is special language in there regarding special circumstances for special away games, a lot of specials. Uh, mm-hmm. But they can honor their existing financial commitments for loans and transfers, no new registrations, which puts a wrench in the works for renewing Rudiger, Christensen, and Espelicueta. No new ticket sales. Existing season ticket holders can still attend matches, so you will still have some atmosphere. They can still receive the TV revenue, but they cannot use it because their accounts are frozen. So they're basically existing on uh, existing cash reserves for the time being. Petr Cech uh, said the club is being run day to day, but they still cannot be sold because Abramovich cannot financially benefit Lots of rumors about what will happen in terms of the sale when it does occur. But right now, I think they're still trying to figure out what will go down because Abramovich, I think, has valued them at $3 billion. He is owed over a billion by the club. So lots of questions as to how this all will end up working out and what will happen at Chelsea long term. But for now, still winning, still getting the results. So at least there's that. Yeah, and the upcoming trip to Lille in the Champions League, by the way, that's already been arranged and paid for, right. uh, says the report. So uh, no mega bus for Chelsea for that one, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Um, Graham, there is um, lots of news or, or, or uh, rumours circulating about the potential sale of this club. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the potential bidders, Saudi Media, a Saudi consortium. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's it's very difficult not to be depressed about (laughs) the state of English football in particular in the Premier League uh, with regards to to sports washing. I I personally found this match um, just kind of difficult to to deal with. I I can understand, I can understand, let me me take this back. So I can't really understand how some of the fans, the Chelsea fans reaction and also I'm, I'm grouping Newcastle on this as well with sports washing. I can't really understand some of some of their reaction to the criticism that their their owners get um, justifiably. So their owners get I when Eddie Howe's asked questions in the press conference, Eddie Howe has made a deal with the devil devil to get that job. I, I He gave an answer that I'm not saying it's correct that he gave, gave the answer that he did, but that's the answer I expect from him. From fans, if that was me, I would be furious with how someone, Abramovich in Chelsea's case, has used my club in such a cynical way all these years. Now I can I can accept it can be it can be tricky, and I said back in when the Newcastle takeover happened that I completely accept and understand fans still supporting their team because the club and the owner are never the same thing in my in my view. But I I can't understand fans singing songs glorifying Abramovich or Newcastle fans waving Saudi Arabia flags in, in the way end as they did at Stamford Bridge. Do, do you understand what... I feel quite passionate about this. Do, do you understand what you're doing? You are doing the sports washing. Like, that's that's why yeah. this works. That's why this happens. These people are are using you. Like, why, why are you not angry about that? Why do you... You can be angry and upset with your owner of your club without feeling that you're betraying your club because as I say clubs and owners are not the same thing in my in my view so I just I just want fans to be a little bit smarter and have, have a little bit more awareness and as I say the Chelsea Newcastle game at the weekend was 
I found it quite depressing, to be Graham, honest. Graham, I don't know if this like fully connects to what you're saying, but to me it does, so here we go. It stood out to me watching the Atlanta-Charlotte game that uh, in the Atlanta uh, supporter section, you'll see a giant Venezuela flag. And it's obviously for Joseph Martinez. It stood out to me because of the... Uh, the historically strained relationship between the United States and Venezuela. Mm-hmm. I would say the U.S. has a lot of culpability in the straining of that relationship. But if you are a non-soccer fan just tuning in, you don't really know much about it, to see a giant Venezuela flag would be jarring. It would be a moment of like, wait, what? Like, are they rooting against America or something? And then you'd realize, oh, no, it's this player that is beloved that they all care about and somebody bought that flag and flies that flag to show him their support. The Richmond Kickers have that when we have international players. We had we had Udayamura uh, from Japan, and there were Japanese flags in the crowd. But that all feels organic and normal, and people wanted that player to feel welcome, to feel like they were valued. When it's fans waving the flag of the ownership group, I, like, maybe they bought those flags, maybe they were just given to them as a, like, hey, here's a free flag, wave it around, so people think that you love Saudi Arabia— but if it's not that, then it is somebody who is like, I love Saudi Arabia now. And that is, I think, by definition, what you're like trying to do with sports washing. And that's where it just feels really odd to me. It is not dissimilar from the owners lifting the trophy instead of the yeah. players. It just doesn't feel quite right. And with you, this game was weird. What you left out of the observation at Atlanta, Taylor, was that in addition to the Venezuela flag, um, a giant TIFO of their owner, 10 times the size of that flag <laughs> uh, before the game. So, I did also note the Ukraine flag as well. That one made me happy too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe we should part this one for now. But it, but I think, Graham, one, one point you made now, I noticed, and it's a valid one, is that the last when Chelsea have... Um, they're up, it's up against them, and they've had transfer bans in the past. It's done them quite well on the field. Yeah, so the, the, the comp- comparison there is obviously the, the transfer ban that, that Chelsea had two or three years ago. Now, I'd argue the current sanctions they are facing are way more severe um, and threaten the very existence of the club. So in that sense, it is new territory. But in terms of the the team on the pitch, it's it's still the same world-class team that Chelsea have now than they did a few weeks ago before these sanctions. And since the the sanctions have been applied, they've they've had uh, back-to-back wins. They haven't conceded a goal. And I do just wonder, this is this is kind of a, at this point, it's a rhetorical question. I don't have an answer to it. But I do just wonder if maybe all this does help Tuchel create a siege mentality and um, just galvanises that group a little bit. Rightly or wrongly, Tuchel can probably use this as as, as a us-against-the-world sort of narrative in that dressing yeah. room. And, and last time when Chelsea had the transfer ban, that was the early days of Frank Lampard's uh, reign in charge, it kind of worked to their advantage. You know, a lot of young players came through. They were, they were pretty strong in the first half of that season. Certainly in Lampard's first season, they get back in the Champions League. So... There is precedent for this to actually uh, help Chelsea on the pitch as much as it is giving them real challenges off the pitch. Do, do I, does anyone feel mildly hypocritical in all of this? Like that's the thing that I keep feeling over and over again. Is like, like we talked about Abramovich and where his money came from when he first bought oh, yeah. Chelsea. It's been discussed here and there, but like we knew we talked about this when Newcastle were purchased. That everybody knows like what this is, and everybody has to sort of turn a blind eye to it so that we can enjoy the sport we love. But when you have Gazprom on every single shirt and every every single advertisement, and now there's this sort of outrage about Russia's influence, and it's like, well, y- y- y'all didn't have a big deal about that when you were taking that money and taking that oil. Like, and, I, and I'm complicit in that as well. So I think that's also part of what I'm yeah. struggling with, is this feeling of like, 
as I've said previously, like Usmanov owns part of Everton. I don't see nearly as much outrage towards Everton as I do towards Chelsea from people who I've seen wear Chelsea jerseys previously. Like it's just it's just an odd situation, a difficult situation. I don't really have good answers, but I just want to verbalize the confusion that I too feel. But but Taylor, they, they get they get you because you you can't you feel like you can't just bring it up every time you yep. talk about a team. Yep. So I've got I've got pro- problems drag, with man. Be, yeah, well, I've got big problems with Newcastle being owned by who the, who they're owned by. I've got big problems with Manchester City being owned by who they're owned by. Chelsea, I've had problems with who they're owned by for 19 years since they were since they were bought. But you you feel like you can't just bring it up every single week right. or every single podcast, every every single weekend review, and then that's how we end up complicit in it, in it as well. Absolutely, we are hypocritical, but that's that's how they get you, and that's how I find it so depressing and this is how it works like it's so effective sports washing it's so effective because you you end up doing uh you know the reputational laundry of these of these terrible people and terrible regimes and we don't really have a choice in it you end up doing the reputational laundry that is an incredible quote by graham ruffin (laughs) go off graham go off um should we should we uh we'll park this one i think um before we all get too depressed and why don't we move to some happier news joseph lowry a first win at leeds for jesse march 2-1 over norwich a dramatic 90th minute winner here um leeds now 16th four points clear joe hurrah big game big win for jesse marsh you can see the emotion on all of the fans faces on his face on every single member of that club's face with that stoppage time winner over Norwich. I mean, it's it's a goal from Gailhart that that Jesse Marsh says he will remember on his deathbed. Like, this is how important this moment is to him and to this club. And, and for Leeds, in a more general sense, I thought they were good in this game, fellas. Just as I, I think they've been good for a lot of Jesse Marsh's admittedly short tenure thus far. Ryan, you mentioned this being his first win, and that's absolutely correct. But let's think back to that Leicester game. They were good in that game in a 1-0 loss. The Aston Villa one, maybe not so much, that 3-0 loss there. But man, I think the things are starting to come together for Jesse Marsh. You can see how he wants to play by just looking at this team. You don't even have to watch much to get, okay, they're in a more compact defensive shape. It's zonal marking, which is what we expect in open play. It's quick attacking transitions. Both goals in this game come from direct play, come from leads, then winning the ball or controlling it somehow in an advanced area and scoring a goal. And and outside of those two goals, fellas, there were lots of chances in this one for for Leeds, which should be expected against a team like Norwich, but getting the job done against bad teams in the Premier League is pretty much how you avoid relegation. So as long as Leeds United can continue to do that, I think they're going to be okay. Yeah, Graham, um, Leeds got Wolves, uh, Southampton and Watford coming up for the next three games. So three massive games there. Do you regard this win as a turning point for Jesse Marsh or is it lads, it's Norwich? <laughs> um, it's a little bit, lads. It's Norwich, but I, I, I don't know if it's going to be a, a turning point. But wow, he needed to win this match. I think if he, if he hadn't won this match after the way Leeds played, after um, missing a number of chances, Patrick Bamford, I think it's quite clear he's he's not quite sharp enough yet. He, I think, he comes off after after forty five minutes and misses a couple of good chances. If they don't get three points from this game, I am genuinely fearing for. Jesse Marsh already, which I I know is ridiculous because that would just be second game. But this is this is the situation he signed up for. He needs uh, uh, results immediately. So to get that to get that win, and as you say, some winnable games coming up now. He he really needs to to, to build on it. I think the 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 first two performances have been uh, decent, or is it three games actually that he's he's in, yep, been three. in charge for? I think it's three games. Yeah, um, I did see a statistic that um, 
Obviously, it's a very, very small sample size, so don't read too much into this. But his the the expected goals leads are are, are now um, they're now outperforming their ex, their expected goals by by one, I think it was. Whereas under Bielsa this season, it was something like minus sixteen point eight or something. So there already seems to have been a, a a little bit of a of a reaction there. So some encouraging signs, but they need to they need to back it up with some more results. Yeah, first time they've scored in five games as well. So uh, nice for the Leeds fans. Taylor, what do you think? Is uh, is uh, Marshy going to do it? Is he going to get it done? Uh, if Patrick Bamford can score goals, yeah, that that would help certainly. Because I think the, there was a lot of rustiness in this game. Maybe Leeds, as you've indicated there, Ryan, just not being used to getting goal-scoring opportunities. I thought they had really good attacking moments. They didn't take them that well. They hit the woodwork a couple different times. But I think you could see a couple different players, Rafinha, Dan James, chief among them, being well-suited to what Jesse Marsh wants his team to do. Uh, I saw a post on the Leeds Reddit that Jesse Marsh himself is well-suited to Leeds because his quote after the game was, we made life very difficult for ourselves, which is apparently the unofficial club mantra this season or motto this season. But I thought overall, the result, the energy, the atmosphere, the way that team celebrated, the way the fans kind of picked the team up when it went to -to 1-to-1 very late in the game, all of that I think was a very... A series of very positive signs for Leeds. Wonderful stuff. Uh, uh, Good way to end the second part of Total Soccer Show's weekend review. When we come back, a bit more Premier League, and we're going to round up the rest of the European leagues and Major League Soccer. Back soon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach, Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Taylor Rockwell, how about them West Hams? They got a good win, uh, a 2-1 over Aston Villa this weekend and an emotional moment for Andre Yarnlenko scoring the opener, visibly moved by that yeah. one. Um, it was emotional for me, he said. It's so difficult for me right now in this moment thinking about football because every day the Russian army kills Ukrainian people. So a nice moment there at the London Stadium. Yeah, that that quote was very emotional, but it also was the same thing we've been talking about. Uh, just sort of that reminder of like, oh, this is really exciting. He scored a goal. But yes, people are dying every single day. And I imagine it would be almost impossible to have to focus on your career. Uh, and then we're talking about a player who hadn't played in more than a month, comes in, scores after 18 minutes after subbing on. And his emotion, the reaction of his teammates, the reaction of the crowd, all of it, it got a little dusty in my living room as I was watching that one. It was one of my favorite moments of the weekend. Indeed. Uh, Brighton nil, Liverpool 2. Lewis Diaz on the score sheet. Graham and Sadio Mane getting a penalty here as well. Can we call Brighton a bogey team for Liverpool? Is this a good result? Yeah, Brighton, Brighton have given Liverpool trouble in, in the past, so I, I guess in that sense this was, this was a good win for them, even if, if Brighton are in poor form at the moment. Um, I suppose one of the biggest talking points from this game came in the non-decision to send off Robert Sanchez, the Brighton goalkeeper, mm. who nearly cut Luis Diaz in half uh, as he scores the, the first goal. I just can't understand how he wasn't shown a red card for that because it's not even as if Sanchez... You know, you could understand if he's going for the ball and he's he's kind of just clattered into Diaz as the two of them go for the ball, but he actually kind of sends a karate kick leg into Diaz outside of his body, if you get what I mean. You know, he's making his body lar larger by outstretching a leg straight into the chest of Diaz as he scores the first goal. So, yeah, that, that was a bit weird. Uh, Liverpool, they can play better, but it's probably a good sign when you're winning 2-0 away at the Amex and not even playing that well. Indeed. Uh, Brentford 2, Burnley 0. NBC, by the way, this is the, the kind of game you put on Peacock. That's fine. Not Man United Spurs. Brentford 2, Burnley 0. That's where it belongs. Anyway, I have Tony Brace here. Got one from the spot. A really big game in the relegation fight. Eight points clear of the relegation zone are Brentford now. So that's massive, massive for them. Burnley, sadly, still in it in 19th spot. Taylor, another loss for Everton against Wolves. A 1-0 loss against Wolves. Connor Cody right. getting the goal there. John Joe Kenny getting his marching orders as well. A fourth league loss in a row for Everton. They're outside the relegation zone, only on goal difference. Yeah, that win that they had that made me feel like things were going to be okay feels like a long time ago. Uh, certainly huh. a lot longer than it took for John Joe Kenny to get his second yellow. Three minutes from first yellow to second for him. Forwards aren't scoring. Midfield not working. Dele Ali continues to look a shadow of his former self. Resounding boos from, from the uh, home supporters at full time. Uh, they are only outside, I think, as you said, on goal difference from the bottom three. It's not great for Everton, and I really did think that this would be a turnaround, that Lampard would at the very least get that bounce, get them kind of playing well for the rest of the season, have them safely mid-table, and then maybe we would have to see what happened with him long-term. I don't even know if we're going to get there because of the way things are going. It just feels pretty toxic at Everton right now. Maybe not as toxic as another team we're going to talk about, but it's up there, and that is one thing I definitely got wrong. Uh, another thing relates to FC Dallas, but we'll stay with Everton right now because I felt like Lampard was going to right this ship, and he has done the opposite so far, it seems. I feel like in the last week, it's there's been a realization at Everton of, oh my god, we've got Frank Lampard in a relegation fight yeah. here, uh, yeah. and maybe not the manager you want in that scenario. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not quite the experienced relegation manager. So what I'm hearing, Graham, is you want Sam Allardyce in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, always, yes, for the for the banter as much as anything. He would make them better, wouldn't he? 
That, I mean, not maybe not better, but he would get the results they need, wouldn't he? Um, uh, <laughs> maybe more so than Lampard, but let's not forget. I think Allardyce literally did get relegated last season, so yeah, right, well, his, his case is, is maybe a, a, not as strong as it has been in the past. Taylor, it sounds like you're in the pocket of Big Allardyce now. We should probably move on. I mean, anyway. if we're going to be in the pocket of anything, I mean, he is not the the squeaky clean individual, but you know, compared to the Saudi government or the Dubai government or whatever it might be, yeah, I'll, I'll take Big Sam. That's fine. So many packs of chewing gum in those pockets, by the way. I don't even think he takes the wrappers off. He just throws them in. It's yeah. that and pints of wine. Somehow he yeah. has those in his pocket as well. But he, <laughs> he manages to, to, to walk without spilling, and that's a credit to him, uh, even with me in that pocket as well. Indeed. Arsenal 2, Leicester nil. Graham. Um, Arteta getting this team playing and paying off the faith that Arsenal have had in him, never in doubt, the fans have always loved him, and et cetera, and so on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, I do think that this, this was more evidence, though, that Arsenal are heading in the, in the right direction. Fifth straight league win. For me, that, that fourth place is starting to look like it's definitely going to be theirs. My United, obviously, are still in the picture, but I think Arsenal have three games in hand over my United, and they're already above Manchester United in the table. In this game, Odegaard was brilliant. Saka was good. Lacazette was good. He's now had a direct hand in, in 10 goals in his last 11 Premier League games. He's at a contract at the end of the season. They they have to offer him a, a new deal. In the past, I've said they should let him go, but I, I think he's become so important to that team that he probably have more to lose than than gain in getting someone else in to, to, to play that role. So hand them a new deal, I'd say. But yeah, it's all working very well for, for Arsenal at the moment. They have a good balance. There's confidence in their play. There's structure, which hasn't always been the case under Arteta. So I am, in, I am very interested to see how they get on against Liverpool on Wednesday night because that, that feels like maybe a a new measure for them, a new gauge. And if they get a, a positive result in that game, then yeah, they really are making progress. All right, let's quickly round out the rest of the continent. We're starting Spain. Real Madrid is still top. They're playing Mallorca on Monday, on uh, today indeed. Uh, Sevilla, they, they drop points. They're still in second place. They're four points ahead of Barcelona after a 1-1 draw at Rayo Vallecano. But Graham Ruthven, Barcelona four, Osasuna nil. Ferran Torres getting a brace here. Aubameyang and Ricky Puig on the score sheet as well. 14 goals in their last four matches. They can't stop. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And it's quite funny because at the start of, of Xavi's reign, the question was, where are the goals coming from? And now it's just like, we've got far too many goals. We don't know what to do with all the goals. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they two goals for Ferran Torres in this game. Another one for Aubameyang, who, um, Taylor, you were saying things you've been wrong on. I was very wrong on Aubameyang. He has offered a lot to that Barcelona team immediately. Um, Xavi today said he's a, a, a gift that has fallen from the sky. Or, you know, a player they signed from Arsenal in the January transfer window. Uh, one or the other. Potato, but he tomato, has been, he's Yeah, he's he's been very good. Uh, two more assists for Usman Dembele, who's been incredible recently. Um, and then it's the it's the Classico this weekend. The El Classico, as uh, some people refer to it. I think that is, uh, that's going to be very interesting. Because it feels like both Barcelona and Real Madrid are in pretty good moments right now. They're actually... Uh, good teams maybe for the, for the first time in the season at the, at the same time they're they're both good so something's got to give I suppose and um yeah I'm very much I always look forward to Glasgow's even when Real Madrid and Barcelona are poor but at the moment I am uh, very very much looking forward to that one indeed Graham I'll stay with you for a quick look at Italy uh, Milan getting a 1-0 home win over Empoli they went five points clear on Saturday uh but they're now three points clear yeah and and 
after winning at Napoli the week before, it was just so important that they backed up that, that win with, with another win here. It wasn't entirely convincing. Um, some shaky moments, but a, a nice goal from uh, Pierre Kalulu, who um, he made the difference. He is just another one of these players that who's just getting better and better for AC Milan. They've AC Milan in recent years have become so good at picking up underappreciated players and, and developing them. They got Kalulu from Lyon, who hadn't really been given a chance there, and, and he's kind of just a symbol of the... Uh, what am I going to call it? The transfer market industry that they have made for themselves of, of finding these players and kind of just making them better. So an important one for Milan. Indeed, important win for Napoli. 2-1 over Verona. Into Milan dropping points, Graham. Uh, a 1-1 draw at Torino. Mr Alexis rescuing a point in the 93rd minute. Into with only one win in their last six. Yeah, and, and they are in they are in pretty poor form, form at the moment. Obviously, they, they beat... Liverpool, despite going out of the Champions League, they actually beat Liverpool last week in the Champions League. So it felt like that was an opportunity to build on that. They didn't do that. The defending for the Trino goal was absolutely abysmal, very unlike Inter, who are usually so good from from set pieces. I would say they're one of the best set piece teams, both def- both defensively and attacking wise in, in Europe, not just Italy. But um, yeah, the, the really poor defending for that first goal. Trino had chances to score a second and a, you know even a third if they had got a, a second goal. They probably should have sealed the points before Sanchez gets that late. Um, equaliser to snatch a point is it a point gain or is it two points lost I guess we won't really know until the end of the season but in this form as you say one win from their last six leagues ga- league games Inter are they're at risk of, of falling away I think Juventus might join that pack they seem to be on the rise and mm. Inter seem to be falling away slightly Juventus do seem to be on the rise 3-1 win against Sampdoria this weekend they're now unbeaten in 15 league games they're in fourth I mean, they're, they're, what, seven points off the top here? Surely yep. not, Graham. Surely not. Uh, I wouldn't be so sure. I think they're I think they're looking pretty good all of a sudden. This is their fourth straight win in all competitions. Um, if you look individually at the at the players who all of a sudden are playing well, Locatelli's got two assists in, in his last two games. He's he's thriving in a more advanced role. Obviously, Weston, Weston McKenney, RIP, was doing that role until a few weeks ago when his season ended. But Juventus seems to have just absorbed that and Locatelli's now uh, thriving Vlavic is rested for, from the start for, from this game and he gets the final 25 minutes so it's really positive Juventus are whose squad is pretty thin at the moment that's maybe one thing that could hold them back so they're, they're managing now to, to rest Vlavic and still get get uh, important results Morata is scoring more goals he's, he's he finds the back of the net in this game so yeah it's this was a good day for Juventus and it feels like there, there have been more good days for them in the past few weeks and as you say seven points off the top I I think they're going to be in that title race picture I'm not saying they're going to win it I think maybe Milan are still the favourites um, but they're in there Quick look over at Germany at the Bundesliga. Sound the Bayern alarm. They didn't win for the second time in as many weeks. A 1-1 draw at Hoffenheim. Uh, Graham, I guess they used up all their goals against Salzburg. <laughs> yeah, and, and Barcelona are... Sorry, not Barcelona. Bayern Munich are... are they're very weird. They're a weird team at the moment, particularly defensively. I know we all have, we've all taken it for granted that Bayern Munich, they're, they're going to win their 10th straight Bundesliga title, but they've won just two of their last five league games, which for them in the Bundesliga is dreadful form they're struggling defensively they've just kept one clean sheet and in that run they're missing Alfonso Davis who I saw as he's back in training obviously he's had that heart issue for quite a while now he's back in training this week so they need to get him back in the team I think he just helps a lot of the balance Upa Meccano he's completely lost Nagelsmann's uh, trust he's he's had some pretty poor performances he doesn't start this game against Hoffenheim so as good as Bayern have looked at points this season and at times they've looked like the best team in Europe 
they do also have some issues to resolve, and I can't believe I'm saying this given how uh, readily I've written it off this season, but is there a title race in the Bundesliga? Because Dortmund, who are also a really, really weird team, they're they're creeping up. They're they're getting close to them. Seven point gap there with, uh, with Dortmund at the top. Now they got a one 0 home win at, uh, to, against Arminia Bielefeld. Mar- uh, Marius Wolf with the goal there. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen still in third. They lost one 0 at home to Cologne though. Um, AB Leipzig they're in fourth place. A massive six one win at Kreuterfurt, which is my favourite team name to say in all of the lands. Six different scorers for six goals there for AB Leipzig, which was the standout stat for me. Uh, anything else, Graham? Gladbach to Hertha Berlin nil. Big game at the bottom. Yeah, absolutely. And and between two big clubs as well, the context around this game is that there are a number of big clubs facing relegation from the Bundesliga near the, the foot of the table. In recent seasons, we've seen Schalke, we've seen Hamburg going back a little while now, but um, also Werder Bremen last season also go down. And it looks like at least one big German club is going to go down again this season. Stuttgart, they're in the relegation playoff place. Hertha Berlin are now second bottom. And Gladbach, they had been sinking like a stone. So this result now lifts them seven points clear. They beat Hertha Berlin 2-0. They're now seven points clear of the relegation playoff place, a little bit of breathing space. Um, Hertha Berlin have now uh, decided to make a change in manager, and Felix Magath is back in German football. Um, So I hope those Hertha players are ready to run (laughs) on the training pitch. (laughs) And doesn't he like rub cheese into injuries and stuff? that, That was Magath, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, among other things, he, he does <laughs> I like that a lot Graham, of things like that. Graham, I like that you weren't sure, but you were just like, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> I, I think w- one quick Bundesliga note for me on Bayern Munich would just be an interesting point about this season seems to be that a lot of the issues that Hansi Flick was frustrated by last season are still very much prevalent. And you can look at who Bayern used in that game. Uh, at the weekend that they go with that kind of 3-2-4-1 with Gnabry and Coleman as wingbacks. That already is weird, but they have Mark Rocco on the bench, they have Bunasar, they have Omar Richards, and then Opamakano, as Graham mentioned. Uh, a number of those players are the ones that Hansi Flick refused to play last season and then got in trouble for, and there was kind of confrontations with the front office about him talking about how they didn't have enough talent and depth and that still seems to be the case, even with the money they have spent. It just doesn't feel like Open Meccano, I agree with Graham, is what Nagelsmann wants, which feels very odd, given that they came from the same club. And same thing for Sabitzer. So I think there's issues around Bayern Munich that need to be ironed out, and historically we know will be, or we can assume will be ironed out. But for their part, Dortmund getting some players back, Holland and Gio Reyna both playing in their game. It does seem like if we were going to get a title race, the stage is set for it. But that's also the famous last words before Bayern rattle off like nine in a row and don't concede it the whole time. <laughs> it, it would be the weirdest arc of a season that I can remember if Dortmund end up challenging yep. Bayern for the, for the title. Because they have had some atrocious results recently as well. It was only a few weeks ago they, they, they shipped five goals at home to Leverkusen. They're dumped at the Europa League by Rangers after failing to make it through the group of their Champions, of their Champions League group into, into the, the knockout rounds there. So, and, and as, a couple of weeks ago it felt like Marco Rosa was fighting for his job. So if they end up challenging Bayern, like, I can't think of an arc that's more unexpected than, than that one in recent memory. Let's get to MLS before we finish up the weekend review. Joseph Lowry, how about them Sounders and them LA, LA Galaxy? 3-2 to the Sounders this one. Uh, one of several 3-2 results in the league this weekend, in fact. 
I think the big takeaway from this is don't give the Sounders set pieces because all of their goals, I mean, they have a penalty in there as well, but all, all three of their goals come from dead ball situations. I thought defensively in open play, the Galaxy were really good and the Sounders were actually quite poor. They created almost nothing in open play. But like I said earlier, if Ronaldo gets three goals, Rangnick's not going to sweat the small stuff so much. He, he probably will to an extent. Brian Schmetzer's not going to sweat not creating a ton of chances in open play when you get three goals from dead balls. So this this was a great win for Seattle, a statement win at home from them, certainly. There's still a lot to like about this Galaxy team. Uh, Julian Araujo did not have a particularly good game in this one, but I think there's there's really things to be optimistic about if you're Greg Vanny and Brian Schmetzer coming out of this game. Uh, one of my favorite quotes on our running order, Joseph Larry: Cincinnati weren't bad. A 2-1 win at Orlando for Brandon Vesquist brace there. Continuing the theme from last week, I might add, I had the, well, actually, they're not that bad, the the full-on, well, actually, last week. And this week, I mean, they get an away win. How often have we been able to say that about FC Cincinnati? Uh, Not often. 2-1 win for them in this game. Pat Noonan's ideas coming over from the Philadelphia Union are starting to show on the field for Cincinnati. Alec Kahn had to do a lot of, of good goalkeeping in this game, and he did, and credit to him for that for Cincinnati. But man, Cincinnati looked compact in midfield. They were in this three... 4-1-2 4-1-2 shape in uh, in the first half, and then they shifted to more of a 4-2-3-1 and a flat 4-4-2 in the second half. But they made Orlando's life pretty hard in this game, and both goals, I mean, especially that first one, is just great work from Lucho Acosta. It's a great uh, line-breaking ball from Alvis Powell from right wing back. And then Brandon Vasquez is a big guy, and he is dangerous right now. He's bodying defenders. Don Baggi as well, the top of, of Cincinnati's shape in the first half and then off the left in the second half, gave Orlando problems. So Cincinnati, I mean, with that three points, they've shown and they're starting to show that they might not be the same pushovers this season as they've always been. Uh, Inter Miami nil, LAFC 2, a red card for Brexche in that one. LAFC top of the West right now after three games. Taylor, New England 2, Real Salt Lake 3. New England having a 2-0 lead, three goals in the last 12 minutes. Uh, Yeah, there's that. I am just focused on Carlos Hill and his wonderful rant after the game, which he says he would have said even if they had won the game in convincing fashion, but... Drops an F-bomb in there, furious about playing in those conditions, and I can't really blame him because it does feel like that game could have been pushed back, but it wasn't. Carlos Hill, if you haven't seen it, just does a very good rant with a good reporter who doesn't quite know what to do and tries to make light of it and tries to keep the interview moving, uh, but is unsuccessful. So try to find that one if you can, because I appreciated him speaking very candidly about his thoughts on the uh, conditions out there, almost as candidly as Phil Neville talking about his team who... To summarize what he said about Inter-Miami was basically, our good players need to be gooder and our bad players are playing too bad, is roughly what he said, and that's <laughs> how I'm choosing to internalize it. Mm-hmm. If we can all do that players being gooder. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think so. Pretty solid. Good ones, not of, uh... good enough. Need be more good. Bad ones, too bad. Not bad <laughs> is good. There we go. Excellent. Excellent <laughs> Something stuff like that. from Field Nettle there. Uh, all right. He said it was more uh, of an Joe... accent, though, so it came across more charming. <laughs> Toronto falling at the crew, Joe Lowry. Yeah, Toronto lose 2-1 to one in this game in Columbus. But I, I think there's some encouraging signs here for Bob Bradley in Toronto FC. They shift to a back three in this game without Salcedo, without Chris Mavinga, without Shane O'Neill. So that's their three top center backs all out in this game. So Bob Bradley puts Michael Bradley in the middle of a back three, and they play out of this 3-4-3 three, three shape. And 
I liked a lot of what it provided for this team. I think having Jonathan Osorio and Okello in midfield gave Toronto better balance and more ground coverage that Michael Bradley simply can't provide. Michael Bradley had a lot of chances to pass the ball forward while facing forward and not have to worry about getting turned and then progressing play, which is a little bit harder to do. So he doesn't have to deal with some of those situations, and he could be really impactful. Jaden Nelson, I thought, had a pretty good game, especially in that first half. Things to like here from Toronto. I hope we see that 3-4-3 shape again. For Columbus, Lucas Elrion continues to be very dangerous. He's got uh, some really impressive stats to start this season. And the crew put on pressure in this game. They struggled a little bit out of the gates, but then they wrestled control back and showed that they are a capable team. I'm not sure they're going to be world beaters in the Eastern Conference, but the results for them so far this season are quite good. Mm. Big win in the West for Dallas. 2-0 win over Nashville uh, with a with a lovely debut goal coming in this one, Joe. Taylor, you want to take this one? Yeah, I mean, it was a good goal. It was a pretty good goal. Uh, yeah, I had some ne- negative things to say about Alan Velasco uh, when we did our preview. I, I reiterated them again when I was talking to Tom, uh, Tom Bogert last week. And then Velasco does this on his debut. It's an incredible goal. Joe, I think you had it as an early candidate for goal of the season. Can't say I disagree. So some of my concerns about him scoring goals and making an impact were... Perhaps unfounded. It's actually, I, I flipped it to you because I wanted you to do that. Bit. Yeah, but yeah, Taylor, I yeah. do think you were you were and still are wise for, it wasn't even criticism. I, I think that's too strong. You were pointing out, give this guy time. Yeah. Right? He's a teenager coming right. in. He's one of Dallas's, he's Dallas's biggest signing of all time. You know, let him adjust, let him get involved a little bit first. And this is his first appearance for FC Dallas. And he was really, really good. Not just with that slaloming goal to seal this game for Dallas late in the match, but also cutting in off the left wing with his right foot and and playing the ball forward, progressive in his movements. You can see he likes to get on the ball, but also playing quickly. He, He checked a lot of the boxes for me in this game. But it was also like a 30-minute cameo. It's, it's not enough for us to say, oh, this guy's the real deal. He's going to be great out of the gates. He's going to be a 20-goal scorer. It's, it's foolish to say that. And, Taylor, I think your criticism should honestly – no, not even criticism. Hmm. Your, your statement about Velasco and giving him time should just be the default statement for pretty much any new coach, any new team or, or player coming into this league or any league for the most part. So I think you're wise to point that out. And I think Dallas fans, though, are, are going to be wise to continue to watch this team and Alan Velasco going forward, because again, he was magic off the bench. Thanks, Joe. Because I really did remember that as me saying like he was going to be bad, and I just looked it up. No, My prediction I don't was think that so. he would be better in the second half of the season yeah. as opposed to the first half, and it will be unfair to talk about him as a flop or anything like that because we need to give him time. So you're right. Never mind. I retract my earlier statements. I was right all along about Alan Velasco, except for when <laughs> I was wrong in the beginning. There we go. Right. Talking about things you said were going to be bad, Taylor, a heartbreaker for Charlotte FC and Ryan Bailey <laughs> in Atlanta uh, this weekend. Atlanta 2, Charlotte 1. Joseph Martinez opening the scoring from the spot. Adam Armour, local Mar- Carolina Martinez. boy, equalizing. Martinez. Oh, my goodness. You British. You British. Martinez. Joseph Martinez. <laughs> Roberto Martinez. Yeah. yeah. That's how you say it. David De Gea. Yeah, that's another solid one. Always a good one when you hear that one. Let me be me, Taylor, okay? Let me be me. <laughs> Fair enough. Martinez. As I was continue. saying, Adam Armour equalizing, uh, getting uh, Charlotte's first ever goal. Uh, I can assure you that beer was thrown in all directions in the away support uh, section of uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, and a 96th minute winner from Jake Mulroney um, wrapping it up. It could have gone either way at the end, I felt. Uh, I was enjoying the conversation around this game um, being a rivalry game and names for the rivalry. I-85 Derby is a, is a front runner due to the big old interstate running between the two cities. Uh, one of the best ones I saw was El Attendance Co, uh, with both teams trying to fill their stadiums as much as that possible. <laughs> yeah, Taylor, did you did you catch this one? 
I watched the game. I, I thought Charlotte did look better at times. I thought they were uh, for as as bad as I thought it was going to be. I asked Graham what the scoreline had to be for it to be considered a pasting. That's what I was expecting going into this one. Um, but Charlotte had some uh, had some good moments in the first half. Uh, Brad Guzan forced into a couple saves. Same goes for the second half where he has to pull out a big yeah. save as well. So I think there were positive si- signs for Charlotte. It just continues to be a team that. There are lots of positive signs, if not fully the result that's needed. And four games in now, one goal scored, four losses, probably not the way you want to start an expansion season. Uh, So, Ryan, I appreciate your support and the support of those who traveled to uh, support that team and cheer for them and kind of let them know, let their presence be known. But at the same time, I think the team has to justify that belief with an uptick in performance levels and maybe some new personnel coming in will help with that. Yeah. And and Ryan, you were on TV. Yeah, I was celebrating the goal. I was celebrating the, the goal, goal, being super professional and celebrating the first ever Charlotte FC goal. Um, there was it was one of those, you know, Graham at World Cup games where everyone throws their beer in the air. I think Charlotte FC fans have decided that's the thing to do. Right. And if you're going to do it anyway, do it at Mercedes-Benz Stadium where the concessions are quite cheap. So um, yeah, that that was a thing that that's- happened. I did see that. What was it? Two dollars for a refillable soda, yeah. but not, a, but not a single meat pie. No meat pies. Some very uh, greasy-looking pe- pizza for you, Graham. I don't know how you feel about pizza in a stadium. Right. Well, I mean, I presume you brought your own meat pies. Like that's what happened, right? Sure. <laughs> I brought my own meat pies to Atlanta. Yes. Exactly I, I was I slightly disappointed that you know how the, the, there's that Nashville, Nashville fan soccer Jesus. I was slightly disappointed that you haven't branded yourself as the Charlotte equivalent of that. And that's what I had hoped to see on TV when you were celebrating that goal was that you had branded yourself as Charlotte Soccer Jesus. I'd be like the Charlotte bank analyst. I think that would probably be the best thing we'd have in Charlotte. Sure. If yeah. there's one okay. thing I know about Jesus that. is that he loved banking. So, uh, so yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely go with that, Ryan. He sure did. He sure did. All right. I think that just about rounds up Major League Soccer and indeed this weekend review. A couple more things to squeeze in, actually. Paris Saint-Germain 3, Bordeaux 0. Um, Taylor, some curious uh, actions from the fans here with some booing Were of they curious, players. And I mean, kind of understandable, well, ne- okay. I feel like. <laughs> So Neymar and Messi yeah. were booed by the yeah. home fans when their team names were announced, mm-hmm. and Mbappe loudly cheered. Yeah. That feels slightly fickle. I mean, you're PSG fans. Yeah. This is what you signed up for. Come on. I mean, yeah, and they booed Mbappe at the start of the season. <laughs> I mean, it was it was roughly the equivalent of the uh, the half baked scene of like you're cool, you're cool, you suck. Like it was definitely. I think I've done it in reverse order, but yeah, they, I think there's that like please don't leave us Mbappe mentality now. But I think with Messi and with Neymar. There seems to be a lot of frustration. And I think Messi, like, I can understand why fans feel frustrated towards him. At the same time, you're putting a lot of expectation on a player who had roughly an entire team built around him at Barcelona. And not to say that he was coddled or anything like that, but just more so he's been playing in a system where managers take into account his preferences and sort of build the attack to suit him. Uh, I don't know if PSG are capable of doing that when they have the talent that they do. And I think PSG themselves don't make their lives e- their life easy for themselves. So I think the fans had to do something, had to show their displeasure. Just weird to see them actively booing one of their own players uh, when a goal was scored. That said, I did see the PSG wish list of their next manager. And I don't... Uh, like, wh- a couple of them seem more realistic. But from L'Equipe, their 10-man shortlist would be Diego Simeone... Allegri, Conte, Ten Hag, Gaultier, Arteta, Inzaghi, Mota, Favre, and Zidane. Some of those names I don't think are going to 
uh, jump ship, mostly no because... No Martinez. <laughs> yeah, well, that could be the one. Let's do that. But I just, like, I don't see how if you're PSG, you expect anyone to have not seen what's been happening and not see your owner and board member, like, banging on the door and, and getting citations from UEFA and things kind of erupting and melting down simultaneously. I don't know who would take that gig, but... Money has a powerful way of getting Zidane. people to do things. It has to be Zidane. What's that? It has to be Zidane. Like that's that's just the sensible appointment. And that he, th- his previous job at Real Madrid was a similar situation yeah. where he had to deal with like a load of egos fitting into the team. Yeah, I I just can't fathom a world where they're not going for Zidane as their next manager Isn't and that... going for Lucien Favre instead. I understand that's an issue in France because he's not a Paris boy; he's a Marseille boy. And there's issues there. Uh, yeah, but ne- like uh, Paul Pogba said, he'd never play for PSG, and I bet he ends up playing for them at some point but, in his career. I mean, also, I like, who is a, a Paris boy, really, when it comes to the history of PSG? Like, I understand there's the, like, historic rivalries between Mbappe? the two cities, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like PSG... Maybe you should j- just go, just calm it down, guys. Just go a little bit calmer. Get somebody, and maybe that is where Zidane makes sense because he does seem to be a, and I don't mean this in a negative way. Like he is kind of a vibes manager, as I understand. He is about like let the personalities play, back them to get the job done, give them clear instructions, and have a few key players that allow everybody else to sort of improvise and see what happens. And that does feel like a thing that would fit with PSG. That's a gross oversimplification of what Zidane brings, but. I guess that one does make a little bit more sense. I just still struggle to think why a manager would leave a high-paying gig elsewhere to go to PSG, which will be high-paying, but short-lived. Mm. It's um, it's not vibes, by the way, Taylor. It's Levy Bay, ah. if, you, if we're going to call up pronunciation. Uh, pardon. Which I just... Yeah, merci, merci. <laughs> uh, Joe Lowry, very, very quickly, let's squeeze in some USL news. USL's back, baby. They started up over the weekend, and Phoenix Rising won their first game 4-2. to That's all I have to say. <laughs> and cool and kicks are nice this year aren't they Graham you've seen uh, <laughs> New Mexico United I thought was a, a, a cool kit yeah. with like a sponsor I didn't understand but looked cool yeah Meow the, the Meow Wolf kits so the Meow Wolf the Meow Wolf can't say that kits have been really good for a number of years I think this is the best one so far which is why I bought it I bought the New, New Mexico United away kit uh, Las Vegas Lights as well have some incredible stuff made by Meba who used to make the Barcelona kits back in the day in like the 90s uh, early 90s yeah. so that that feels weird. I didn't even know Maybe were around still, but yeah, some good kits in the USL. Did a New Mexico United kit have like an authentic level one, which had a slightly different trim for $50 more? Uh, yes, but uh, I passed on that one. Wonderful. What a time to be alive. And what a time to finish up the weekend review. Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much for your contributions as always, sir. Right back at you, my friend. And Graham, right back at you for bringing the New Mexico United home shirt to my attention. We know that like, like leagues will be used to trial new FIFA laws just to see how they're working. I like to think that this is the trial for Dortmund's next jersey because this could also be Dortmund's <laughs> uh, home jersey next season or away jersey, and I'd be into that. So yeah, you're looking you're looking the home one, which is a brilliant Do- Dortmund kit. I bought I bought the away one, which kind of has like paint splatter all over yeah. it, uh, which is Meow Wolf, for, who for anyone who doesn't know is like a art installation company i think who have uh like a center in new mexico i think there's also one in las vegas and stuff like that um but yeah the the home one's nice as well like i would have bought that if i didn't have to pay like my fuel bills and energy bills like (laughs) at the moment (laughs) politics and sport once again wonderful stuff um grant thank you very much for your contributions thank you ryan bailey and joe lowry pleasure as always right back at you ryan 
Listener, thank you so much. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye! Bye!